Agents Podcast. Welcome to the Lab Code Agents Podcast. This episode is brought to you by the Lab Code Agents Marketing Center. The LCA Marketing Center is designed specifically for the real estate world. It's a design center for marketing that has templates created so you can just plug and play. From flyers, postcards, buyer presentations to open house signs and Instagram posts. Check it out for free for seven days at lcamarketingcenter.com. In this week's episode of the Lab Coat Agents podcast, we talked to David Cullen about how to build a brokerage from the ground up. Tune in to hear how David focuses on building strong relationships, leadership development, and leveraging the strengths of his entire team in order to provide an environment of productivity for the agents he serves. If you are a single agent, team leader, or considering starting or changing brokerages, there is lots of great information in this podcast. Let's get started. Okay, welcome back, Lab Coat agents to the Lab Coat Agents podcast. I am Jeff Fitzer, your host for today. And I have the opportunity, the fortunate opportunity to interview yet another guest that I have never met until we jumped on this Zoom call together. And this is another amazing, successful real estate professional. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the OP for Keller Williams Pacific Estates. He runs three market centers, or Pacific Estates has three market centers. I'm talking about Mr. David Cullen out of Southern California. Dave, welcome to the show. Jeff, thanks for having me. I I'm love, I love it. Part of Lab Coat. Excellent, excellent. Well, I appreciate it. I love the introduction, and I've heard some amazing things about you, and just from what little you and I have conversed, I'm really excited about this conversation to learn a lot more about you. So, Let's start with kind of your background in the business. Like, where did, where did you come from? When did you start in the business? And what, what led you to where you are today? I was a uh, therapeutic nutritionist and personal trainer in uh, Southern California prior to real estate. And uh, I always start there just because it was, for me, it was like an on-the-job adult MBA, so to speak, uh, because my clientele were uh, very successful folks in the Southern California market, uh, including some billionaires, some sports athletes, and some celebrities. Uh, and uh, as, I would, as I would work out with them, I would get to know them and their businesses. And one thing that stood out to me was a lot of them were making money while they were sleeping. And of course, I was not because I was only getting paid for the hours that I was working with a client. And... Um, very exciting, but also very frustrating because I didn't have the tools or resources to, to do that at that point. I got into real estate as a result because also many of them had accumulated wealth uh, by owning real estate, developing real estate, even if that wasn't their primary job, and um, started selling properties in uh, Marina Del Rey in 2002 with a uh, boutique firm. And then eventually I was recruited to Keller Williams in about 2007 with the opportunity to open up my first brokerage. And that one was, um, I, I look back on that experience and I think I was probably the least qualified guy from an experience standpoint to uh, be uh, awarded that opportunity uh, in hindsight. And had I known what was involved and what I was supposed to go out and build, I probably would have been too scared and would have said no and found an excuse not to do it. So when they say ignorance is bliss, I think not knowing sometimes uh, can help lead to great, great success. 
100%. So uh, obviously this is, you brought up two good points here. So one, you know, if you're thinking about real estate or you're new to real estate and you hear what his background was, it was all about relationships, right? You, you had, you had some amazing contacts and not only did you realize, Hey, I can leverage this and they're probably still clients today. Uh, but you saw what they were doing and making money and how you could then convert that into another arena, which is now real estate. Uh, to do what you do. But let me bring up something else. You made the shift in 2007, which was during the crash. That was probably the beginning of the crash, right? Uh, so how did that affect your career at that time? How were you able to navigate through that to where you are today? You know what? Uh, that's a great question. It was, uh, we were definitely in the middle of that. And by the time I actually opened up the office, it was January, 2008. And so we were, we were not only in it, it had crashed. And, and, and that area was in Bakersfield, California. And so uh, I attribute the success that we had based on the people that I ended up meeting in the process. So I was fortunate to meet uh, someone who was the king of the REO foreclosure market in the early 90s. Uh, and that was my first operating principle. And so uh, I actually had no clue what a what an REO was. I had to Google it. And so I remember Googling it and reading real estate owned and then trying to figure out what that meant because I had never seen uh, a, an REO in the luxury market in Marina del Rey between the years of 2002 and 2006 uh, because the market was extremely strong uh, and there were, there were no foreclosures that I could even recall. So that relationship uh, gave gave me the ability to recruit real estate agents to our brokerage firm because we could teach them, educate them, and even connect them with an REO account. And looking back on that, it was probably the greatest thing we could have done. And we probably saved a lot of folks from going out of the business uh, who wouldn't have had enough transactions without those accounts. And, and we ended up selling, I believe, the first year about 1,308 REOs as a result. So you're talking about relationships. Without those relationships, there's no way that would have been possible. And, 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 and there's no way we would have been able to help people. And I wouldn't have seen the volume and, and grasped that, that opportunity for future markets, quite frankly. So it's always been a, a product of the people that I've, I've met and, and sort of clung, clung to initially. And then I try to try to learn as much as I can from them and then share that with as many people as I can. Right, right. So it's a, it's a good example of how you have to shift and adapt and evolve. So you got heavily into the, the REO market uh, back in 07, 08. So what then, how long did you do that? And then when did you probably shift back away from that back into something else? Well, here's the, here's, Here's the other thing. When, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I'm taking that role to go build the brokerage, it's, it's, it's a cold calling job. And I'm moving into a, a new county knowing no one. And, and in order to get over the fear of the phone and just to be overall excited about it, I have to have something to talk about. And, the, and so the REO at that time was the thing. And that makes it that makes it exciting to pick up the phone, calling you as an example, and say, "Hey, Jeff, I've got something interesting, an interesting opportunity based on today's market. Would you like to go have a cup of coffee and talk about that?" So, I just want to make that point. Um, it's, I think it's important, and I think that the more you know about something and you couple it with the opportunity, it creates a massive amount of confidence. And uh, I, I believe that people want to connect with you based on several factors, but one important one is 
is if they think you can take them to where they want to go. And there were lots of people in that particular time that were lost. You know, they hadn't seen that type of market either. And in a lot of cases, they weren't, they weren't, they didn't know how they were going to support themselves and feed their family. Love it. And now I forgot your other great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was talking about the shift, but now that you mentioned it, now that you gave me that segue, you know, I wanted to point out that, you know, what, what Dave did there was he found a niche and he made that his value proposition and it made picking up the phone, that phone wasn't a 50 pound weight like it is for all of us, right? Uh, it made it so much easier. And we teach this all the time. And you beat that into the heads of, of any kind of salesperson, whether it's real estate, mortgage, title, it doesn't matter, uh, insurance, is find your niche, find something that you can, that's, that's unique, that's a differentiator, and then make it your value proposition and own it. And it makes calling on new clients so, so much easier. But the question was, uh, when, at what point did you shift out of REO and where did you kind of take it from there? Well, I ended up, I ended up taking another opportunity in, in a different city, turning around a, a brokerage that had, had not made an, any annual profit. So, and I'll back up. So that, that, that deal in Bakersfield wound up being the number one launch for Keller Williams in the U.S. And, and, but, I, but I had a contract that was allowing me to earn a certain amount of equity. And, and one of the things that I had learned from those successful clients I had as a personal trainer was how can I build wealth and how can I earn passive income? So it was, it was a focus for sure. And so once I had capped out on the equity position I could earn, I moved on to a different opportunity. And, uh, and that particular office hadn't been profitable, as I mentioned. So I uh, went in there and created a different value proposition now that, now that you articulated that. And, and we were in a short sale market. In that, in that particular uh, venture. And so I found someone in the office who was uh, a former vice president of an international marketing, uh, marketing company. And we coupled that with uh, a law firm and put together some short sale marketing packages and then started to educate the real estate agents on how to have those types of conversations with potential clients, including uh, bringing in psychologists and therapists to speak to our agents on how they should act and behave in, a, in the living room of someone who was in that type of financial crisis who was looking for, you know, the local economist of choice that had some sort of expertise that could weed through everything that was coming at them under a high pressure situation. Uh, and then we also uh, discovered that some laws had changed or some rules had changed and appraisers had, uh, had been had been impacted greatly and, and a lot of them who used to be able to choose uh, their clients and vice versa based on the relationship with realtors and the amount of money that they could make doing an appraisal had changed. In a lot of cases, their businesses got cut in half in terms of the number of deals as well as the, the amount of money that they could earn. So I started to market and build relationships with people like that that had real estate licenses as well, had the background of being an appraisal and we taught them short sales. Uh, and and, and that, that particular office wound up being, I believe, the number two most profitable Keller Williams in the country for, for the quarter, to clarify, in about an eight-month period of time. Wow. So again, massive you know, value proposition, massive lead generation, lots of appointments, in some cases, 58 appointments in a single month, I can remember that. And I was able to you know, convert about 19 people to the office in a single month. And with that type of growth rate, 
as you might expect, good things can happen. Awesome. That is that is amazing. So which brings which brings us to the uh, the primary topic that we want to discuss, which you've kind of led into a little bit, which is, you know, how to build a great brokerage from the ground up. And you've kind of touched on that a little bit. But now here you are today, um, an OP uh, for three market centers. And so, uh, you know, take us take us back a little bit. So for for any agent listening, I think most agents uh, all aspire for more, whether they aspire to be leadership or whether they aspire to have their own brokerage or to be a team leader, whatever it is. Um, I think everybody has this, 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 this little bit in them that makes them want more. And so even if it's, even if they don't, and they just want to grow their business up, I think some of the things that you can talk about and you could teach uh, can help every single real estate agent. So, so let's, let's dive into that, uh, that topic of just kind of building a great business from the ground up or a brokerage either way. Okay. So, and I'll, and I'll start off with a, with a, a comment is, that I heard a long time ago, and it took, took a little while for it to evolve, which was building a brokerage the way that we've done it is, is very much in line with being a real estate agent and the way that they build their business, which is what you're pointing out. And what I've experienced is some people will find that hard to believe and, and who haven't been in both roles until they've been in both roles. And then I get phone calls back with people that are have built a real estate team, have moved on or expanded. And so in addition to, they're now team leaders or, or owners in brokerages, and they'll call me in a in sort of smiling way and laughing and saying, you know what, I do do the same thing now that I once did. Because generating a real estate sales business is, is about creating relationships, having a value proposition. We've talked about that, being able to clearly articulate it in a consultative approach and then, and then forming that relationship, which leads to being in business together. So whether it's a seller's listing that I'm taking, or you're deciding to choose to come to work with us in, in, in the brokerage firm, uh, there's a lot of similarities to the, the day in and day out. Um, so uh, the, way the, the way that I would, I'm, I'm looking at my notes here from remembering back, day one, the first thing I want to do which I think is how lawyers are often trained is, is I don't want to go into a consultative setting asking questions that I don't already know the answers to. You know, it gives me an advantage. Uh, and, and so the first thing I do is I study the competition in the local marketplace. Uh, and I want to know what, what all of the top competitors do. Uh, and I want to know everything that they do. And so I'll spend uh, months working on that and, and then creating, you know, a competitive market analysis study all the way down to the environment, the physical space, you know, what type of managing broker is, is on site, what are their value propositions, what are, their, what are their agents sell, what's their focus, you name it. I mean, it's a big, thick document when I'm done. Uh, and then I believe that gives me a tremendous uh, competitive advantage, but also, again, it gives me a lot of confidence. And, and when I'm talking to an agent that's considering, you know, I firmly believe in very short order whether or not we can help them and we can truly help them. And if we can't, then, then, then we're not going to get into that relationship. So I'm also okay with that. 
Yeah, that's bring, that's a good point too, though. It's it is that you don't go into every meeting potentially, and whether that's a a recruit or it's a client, uh, just assuming that you're going to get the business. Which I think in a lot of cases, when a salesman does that, when they think the, when they're when they're so I'm going to use the word arrogant that they're going to get every sale, they they become pushy, and you got to know when to back off. You got to know when uh, it's the same in our business, where sometimes you know, a client's got a really good deal from another bank. And, and listen, I'm going to give you that advice that says, you have a hell of a deal. You should take it. And they're usually shocked by that, but I'm doing them that service, right? And it sounds okay. like you do the exact same thing with your recruits, which probably blows people away and makes you memorable for if and when they do have problems down the road, they come back to you. I love it. Well, here's the other thing. So after doing it two times prior, before, before we built what's now called Pacific Estates, I also wanted to make my job a lot easier. And so, you know, you learn through experience. And so one of the things that, that I did in this particular case in Long Beach is, is I spent about 10 or 11 months meeting multiple times with a lot of agents. And what I was looking for was a certain type of agent starting primarily with their mindset. You know, how did this person think? What did they want? Were their goals in line with what we wanted to build? Were their goals in line with our business model, did we have the tools and the systems to support their growth? Because if I could get into business with those people and, and make a serious impact, and they were willing to put in the work and the time and the effort, that's the other key thing. So the mindset had to also uh, give them the ability to take massive action. And so the selection process was lengthy because I knew if I started out with the, the right people, matched them with the right model, which we believed we had, then their business would see explosive growth. That's going to permeate very quickly into a local market, and it's going to disrupt that market because the people that were once sitting across from them or in the office next to them, you know, they don't lose sight of what goes on locally. You know it and I know it. And when a, when a real estate agent goes from $10 million in sales volume to, let's say, $200 million in sales volume, people take notice. And they're taking notice every step of the way. And so that was a that was a key component. We were very fortunate to get in business with the number one competitor uh, or agent from every major competitor. Uh, and and that was a unique um, a unique circumstance. So uh, exercising patience in that case, which I'm not well known for, was key to a very successful launch and what became the most profitable Keller Williams office in the state of California. Wow. Wow. All right. So, you know, studying the market, studying your competition, being patient. What else, what else can you offer? What are, what are some other, the other keys to, to building a great brokerage from, from pretty much scratch? Uh, I think leading by example, uh, practicing what you preach. You know, we've talked a little bit about making phone calls, setting appointments. You know, I think that that was my job. I still believe that's my job as a leader to set the pace there. Uh, and to show people what's possible, which I still continue to learn from other people. Uh, one of the notes that I, I wrote down is something that I think about often, which is, you know, it's like connecting with you today and, and how we got connected through Tristan. I'm a firm believer that people like you and I and Tristan can do what we see in others. And when, when I use the word see, you know, and that this depends on, on who you are as a person. For me, if I just read about it in a book, it's interesting. It sparks an idea, but I like to physically go out and see. And so if someone has an amazing business and I go on a tour, 
and I get to talk to the people that work inside their organization. I get to sit down with the leadership. I get to break bread with them and really get to know them and see everything that goes on and, and peel back that curtain, so to speak, and ask a lot of questions. Then I believe that I can, I can build it myself and duplicate what they've done. Now all I need to do is figure out what my strengths are, know what my weaknesses are, and then build by, by hiring amazing people around me to fill in all of those gaps, which I have quite a few of those gaps. So I need quite a few people. But, but it's amazing what people can do following that, that process. Yeah, it's it's let's it brings up the, the 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 best word yet, which is leverage, and I think that's something that you probably do a lot of. Is you leverage uh, the places where either a you don't have the time for, b you don't want to do it, or c you're just not as good at it as somebody else. And I think you would agree with this, but hire people that are smarter than you, hire people that are better at something than you, hire people that have time to do something that you don't have time to do. Right? That's right. And I, I, don't, I don't know about you or, or other people that might be watching, but I, I had hired a, a few people and then I think I got lucky and found someone who was amazing. And so if you, if you just look at, 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 at setting appointments and having meetings with people and doing presentations, and, if, and, and as we've been talking about value propositions, as soon as I connect them with all of the stuff that we talked about, someone has to be behind the scenes, have the operations, create systems, support, and have great customer service with these folks. Otherwise, I'm going to be extremely limited in terms of the number of people I can be in business with or the number of clients I can service. And, and I, I stumbled across someone who I'm still in business with almost 10 years later who uh, really showed me what the bar of talent is. Uh, her name is Stacy. for those that are listening. And uh, it's been an amazing experience. And so I've with my experience having done that, I see a lot of people will, will make mistakes in that first piece of leverage. And what, what I hate to see is when that happens, they, they end up getting out of business with that leveraged hire and they get, they get sort of turned off by the process. You know, they're, they're now tainted because they had a bad result in it. So, you know, there's all sorts of books out there like, you know, fall down seven, get up eight. So I think about a lot of these books and a lot of things we're exposed to if you're if you're interested in personal growth and you want to become a great leader, so much of what we read and get exposed to is, is, is so real. And in that particular case, that talent allows you to go to a, another level. And so that's sort of the first phase of leverage in, in, in my personal story. And, it, and it's a critical one. Yeah, that's a you bring up a good point. Brings me back to my childhood when I still remember to this day, uh, my dad, who was not in real estate, he was just corporate America, to white collar type type uh, you know worker, mm -hmm. and he bought a piece of real estate, and a yeah questionable part of town, and it went terrible, and I still remember him telling me never again, I'll never do it again, and I thought to my, I was thinking to myself at a young age is you, you got to take you got to learn from these mistakes and you got to take a stab at it, but it it, it resonated with me and made me realize that's human nature, right? And so as a realtor, you know, you're all self-employed. You're all, you're all going out to be entrepreneurs and work for yourself. And you've got to be willing to take some risk because you know, as well as I do, you're going to have some slim months. You're going to be eating ramen noodles for a while and you've got to take some chances and you're going to have some failures and you got to get yourself back up. And if you don't have that mojo, you might want to find a, a more stable 
consistent, I should say, career because uh, we all know there's a lot of very wealthy and successful real estate professionals. You know, one of the one of the ways I I try to uh, articulate that to somebody who is maybe in that funky space you're describing or they're thinking about going into it is 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 just playing it out down the road and making a comparison to somebody they know in the local market. So, you know, in our, in our office here, we're very fortunate. There's a couple of people that sell a couple hundred houses a year, as an example, which is a tremendous amount in Southern Cal. Uh, and, and, and what I'll say to the, the folks that are thinking about leverage is I'll say, well, look at so-and-so over here. He's got, you know, 200 deals a year. He's got 40 people on his team. Do you think for a second uh, the guy I'm thinking about, his name is also Jeff. Do you think Jeff would let those people go and get out of business with them right now? You know, and you sort of, I get a bunch of blank stares and some looks, and the answer is, of course not. Why would he let all that amazing leverage go and stop selling 200 houses a year? So it gets them to think a little bit differently, and that's why I used the word mindset earlier, because someone like Jeff, who once didn't sell 200 homes, his mindset was once different than, than it is now. And, 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 and that's a key, key component. It's it, what would have made your dad think differently about what happened and then continue to go forward because there are other people out there that own more than one property or multiple multifamily properties or whatever you want to talk about. So what are they doing differently and how are they thinking differently? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you a question here. So let's say uh, I am a relatively new agent to the business and uh, you know, I get, uh, you know, I, I seek out Tristan through lab coats and Tristan says, you need to talk to Dave. You need to vet your options, right? Keeping brand aside, right? This doesn't matter your brand. What yeah. advice would you give to a either young or struggling agent on what they should be looking for in a brokerage, in a leader, in terms, and then in terms of resources and you know stuff. What the, should they should be looking for? What the, what should they use in your opinion, or, or what should they be looking for to um, you know to kind of change their luck? I think I think first of all that they, they probably they probably need to know what they want first and be very clear on that. You know, there's a saying that, that, that goes like this, is clarity is power. And so my personal experience when I first got in, I didn't have the clarity. And so I don't know that I would have been able to choose the right brokerage necessarily. So I think if they were going to hang around, and you mentioned Tristan, if, if they can find someone that would sit down with them and help them figure out what it is that they really wanted, then they could probably do a better job of figuring out which brokerage or who they should hang out with. Because then they could find people that had already in place what they wanted. And, and, and that, that just becomes an easier journey for them. Okay, so summarize that. I mean, summarize that. What is it that they should be looking for specifically, though? Is it the person or is it the shiny objects? Well, if we're talking about brokerages, I mean, the, the brokerage itself, if, if, you know, I've been in many of them, they have, they have different energies, they have different feels, and, and like any business, they're a, they're a product of the owner, they're a product of the leadership. And so if you walk into a brokerage and there's people that are coming out saying hi and they're willing to help, and, and you can see evidence of that, and you're new to the business, trust me, when you're new or you're seasoned like me, we need help. 
if, if you walk into an environment where it's, you know, it feels a little shark infested and people aren't willing to help and it's a little bit more dog eat dog, you know, that would probably be a red flag. And I would ask tough questions, you know, to anybody that I interviewed with and, and have them have them sell me on how, how they are going to help me and, and also produce evidence. Where are the testimonials? Where are the people that I can talk to that, that have gone from A to Z? And if I'm now doing that, I'd love to get three or four names of people that I can talk to. So first of all, if I contact those people and they're willing to return my call, that's a good sign. If they're willing to sit down with me, that's even a better sign. And, and if I like what I hear and it sounds like the journey I want to be on, then that's probably a good indicator. I love it. I'd be looking for those things. That's a great, that's a great advice. So to, to, for, for me, to summarize that, you're looking for a collaborative culture. You're looking for, for a group that's willing to share. And then it takes it one step further. And don't be afraid to grill the recruiter, the broker, whoever it is is bringing you in and make sure you get the opinions of those within the organization. Because obviously, uh, if Dave or I am recruiting you, we're clearly biased. But maybe an agent isn't so biased and you need to get that opinion. It's good advice. And also when, you, when you're having those sit downs with those agents that I'm talking about, you can also, um, you can also turn that, that that focus back towards yourself and for a minute, uh, which can be challenging and say, you know what, what do I have in common with these people that I'm talking to that joined this particular firm, went on this journey I'm about to embark on, and they, they, they now have what I want? Am I, sim- am I like them or am I not like them? And if I'm not like them, what do I need to do or who do I need to become? And that's a big part of it. You know, all of us here today attract people around us based on who we've become. I love it. I love it. Now, let me flip the switch on this. And before we close this thing out, now, let me say that I'm a uh, super advanced, very confident realtor who is, let's just say, closing 200 sides a year. And I'm doing very well in Southern California. Uh, What is it that somebody like that, you know, because clearly they're being chased by everyone right? But what is it that they should be thinking about when it comes to where they, you know, where they place their flag? Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're probably looking at it with a P&L in hand, and they're probably looking at it uh, very objectively and saying, look, here, here's what my costs are. What am I getting in return for the money? You know, and it can be that simple. So does the environment and does the financial structure, is it conducive or not conducive to their business growth? It, is the leadership providing things that 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 entity or that leader or team can leverage from so uh if anything that we can take off the plate in the form of leverage and or reduce costs or create an environment or even help them grow their agent count on their team by 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 running ads making cold calls setting up appointments doing interviews and finding talent that would be a good cultural fit for that that organization and we should be doing that Love it. That's really good. Uh, so how about one more question? What about the agent who fires off and says, it's all about the split. Uh, I just want the, I want the highest split. How do you, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you shift that conversation or how do you talk, how do you talk to that agent? Uh, oftentimes, you know, it's, it's a, a different line of questioning because it's not, it's not often really the, the, the motivator behind the question in the first place. So 
because very often, myself included, I'm much more concerned with growing top line revenue than I am uh, lowering expenses in a lot of cases. Because if I lower the expenses too much in some cases, I'm actually, I'm actually cutting some value, cutting some level of service, underpaying people. So, you know, that would be my first question. Is that really the issue? Um, and, and like I said, oftentimes it's, it's, it's really not the case. Uh, oftentimes they're struggling either personally or their business is struggling. And so they're, they're looking for a way to net more money in a short window of time. So they lose the focus on the growth side or the revenues generating side. And now they're narrowly focusing on the expenses. So the first thing I would do is get to the root of that, find out if that is in fact the case. Uh, thank God for us, we do have a cap and it's a true cap. So once they hit it, they take a hundred percent of every check. There's no, there's no, you know, fees that you find out about later. No surprises. We, we intentionally designed it to be very clean because personally, uh, I, I don't like fees that I'm unaware of. Even if it's small, even a $10 fee, it just feels, it feels, it feels different and, and it's annoying. So in that regard, you know, it, to use your example, if somebody's doing 200 units, as an overall percentage based on the cap, uh, uh, and they tell this to me themselves, they couldn't operate as an individual entity for less money than working with us. So I don't get that a whole lot. That's good. That's good. We hear that uh, occasionally in our market, and I was just curious because I think it's a, it's a conversation I think you're hearing less of uh, because there's a lot of other conversations happening in the real estate space. But you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's still, I think it's still out there. So I'm glad, I'm glad you question when you have to be thinking about that as an owner of any business, because, uh, you know, you alluded to it. There's a lot of competition. Look, and agents have choice just like you and I, you know, we could do a podcast anywhere at any time. An agent can join any brokerage, almost any brokerage at any time. Yes. 100%. 100%. And I think nowadays, I think more agents have to be more concerned and more cognizant of, of their own careers in terms of the Zillows of the world and coming in and basically taking a piece of their pie. And so you really need to sharpen your knife and um, again, li- align yourself with really strong leadership and really strong brokerages so that you can overcome that. And so that doesn't become a thorn in your side and ultimately knock you out of business because you probably know the stats better than I do, but you know, how many agents are going to be out of business, uh, you know, in the next couple of years? Well, first of all, the, just the natural attrition rate in the brokerage space on the national level is, is about 30% attrition per year. Once you've been in business for five years. Uh, and that's, you know, if you have a 300 person office, you're losing 90 people a year. Uh, and that's, you know, that's when you're doing well. So there's, there's, there, the, there's always a focus on growth, but you also have to have a focus on value. And, and, you know, we talked a little bit about competition and agents having choice. The world's also changing. It's changing very fast. And, there, and, and one thing I've seen uh, is a lot of uh, companies and a lot of technology and a lot of conversation around the subject matter and social media. And then, you know, when you, when you follow the path of that and you, and you walk around in these uh, events and these classrooms, what I also find is, is something like that that could be a buzzword, uh, like come to the social media event, gets a lot of attendance. And then yet my biggest concern is, well, just because they attend – doesn't mean we're offering true value because until they actually take the information 
implement it into the business and then see a result from it that they can put into their bank account, you know, we haven't done our job. So that requires uh, more than just hosting the class. There has to be people on the ground. There has to be support. It starts with the leadership. So, you know, that's why I love, I love lab coat. I love my relationship with Tristan. I mean, he's, he's amazing in the subject of tech and social media and taking pieces of technology, uh, using automation, making those, making those, two pieces of tech connect with each other and, and create a result for the real estate agent. So it, I think it's our job to contact those companies, know who they are, get the contact information to the real estate agent, know about the pricing, the contract terms, what, what the time frame of the anticipated ROI is going to be, and then how to put it into a budget model based on what kind of gross commission income the real estate agent is currently making. We have to help them scale. Scaling a business is one of the challenges I see over and over again. Yeah, that's, I mean, and you're, you're talking some serious stuff there. And I think that the first thing that I'm thinking about is if I have an agent who comes to me and says, I don't know what to do or where to go, you know, I, I would, I would question, you know, if somebody listens to this podcast, you need to look in the mirror and say, are you having these conversations with your leader? Because if you're not, you might not be in the best place. And, and don't think that, you know, don't be so arrogant or so confident that you don't think you need help. We all do. Uh, even when you get to the highest of levels, I mean, look at Tristan's a great example. The guy is at the top of his game. He's, he's, he's killing it. But the guy is always seeking out more people. He's always surrounding himself with successful people. And that is a testament to, to what it takes to be successful. That's right. And constantly reading and constantly sending me text messages of articles to read. I'm not sure if he sleeps. I've never <laughs> seen that yet. Uh, it's funny. That's funny. And it's, you're right. A lot of people ask me that all the time is how in the heck does he keep up with, uh, and with how all of consistent is he's so consistent. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's call at eight 30. There's a call at eight 30. He's figured it out. That's for sure. And it's also leverage. I mean, look, he has a lab code agents podcast and guess who hosts most of the shows. This guy right here. Um, there you go. You know, so it's, uh, you know, I get it. And, and, but it's creating opportunity as well. And I think that's something. By the way, to, we're both leveraged for him right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But you know what? It's a win-win. It's a win-win-win for all of us because he's winning because it's, it's happening. I'm winning because I get to interview awesome people like you. Uh, and hopefully for you, this is rewarding for you because you get to sharpen your knife. You get to meet different people. And, you know, I'm sure we're going to cross paths at an event at some point and now it'll be a familiar face. So it's, it's good to make connections because you never know. You never know what could happen in this business. Uh, I love the fact that when we were talking offline before we started, I, I was telling you, I, I don't usually do a lot of these. I'm usually the guy doing the interviewing. And so it's nice to be on the other end, like you said, because you're asking me great questions causes me to think. So I'm benefiting from that too. You know, it's, it's amazing. Good. Awesome. Well, this has been, this has been fantastic. You've shared some awesome knowledge. Uh, it's clear why you have risen your, uh, your success to the level that you have and will probably continue to do so. So, so Dave, uh, answer me this. If anybody wanted to get a hold of you or reach out to you, what is the best way to find you, contact you, follow you? Uh, give us that. Okay. Well, I'm on, I'm on Facebook, of course, at David Cullen, C-U-L-E-N. I'm easy to search. I'm on Instagram at dcullen1. Okay. Any other place that they can find you or get a hold of you? Have a, uh, any other contact uh, way or is the best way through social media? Best way is probably through social media or, and, and uh, Facebook Messenger is good. Keeps things very organized for me. Awesome. Awesome. And are you pretty active on social media then, I assume? 
Yes, but but now I have to compare myself to Tristan. And <laughs> hesitate to say yes. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> let, me, let me just say I'm on there and I'm and I'm growing. Awesome. Well, you do have a a, a large business to run, so um, I'm going to go ahead and make an excuse for you. I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure you're doing just fine. Uh, so, Dave, I really appreciate you being on today. And again, like we say every show, if you like what you hear, uh, please share us. Please like it. Please comment. Give us your give us your feedback. Uh, we know that uh, nothing is perfect. We want to continue to get better, and we want to continue to bring amazing guests on. So, if you have any suggestions for us, of course, uh, you know we have ninety five plus thousand friends on Lab Code Agents that uh, are going to hopefully hear this and hopefully subscribe to the podcast. So, please. Share with us and, uh, and let your friends know about it that are in the industry because we love sharing. So, Dave, once again, I really appreciate you being on today, and uh, I look forward to seeing you hopefully at a, a future event. Yep, and thank you very much. I'm honored to be on, and I'll probably see you in San Diego in June. Awesome. You're going to be there. That's just a couple weeks away. Looking forward All to right. it. All Take right, man. Care. Take care, brother. Thanks, guys. Lab Agents Podcast.